Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everyone, to the 2020 Monday Match Analysis Awards. I am your host, Gil Gross, and this is the third annual MMA Awards. It is a moment to honor the great achievements of the year, the great moments of the year, and really just take this time to reflect on the good things that the 2020 ATP season brought us. I am so excited, and I cannot wait to bring you this. Some great categories. Uh, let me just read them through so you know what's coming. Of course, any decent award show saves the best, the most prestigious, the most important for last. So I will do that here. Best shot, story of the year, comeback player of the year, single match comeback, most improved, newcomer of the year, tournament run of the year, upset of the year, single match performance, match of the year, and finally, the player of the year. That's what's coming up. And uh, we will start right away with our first award. No, we won't. I tricked you. Uh, it is tradition on this show to revisit something I do at the beginning of every year, which is predict the year-end top 10. I, I've done this now two years in a row before the season starts. I say, look, this is what the top 10 is now. This is what I think it'll be at the end of the year. And I always do this with the very, very important disclaimer that it is an impossible task. So the idea is really to see how wrong I am. If I'm, if I'm just a little wrong, great success. If I'm very wrong, not as much of a success. So let's see what we have here. This was my preseason top 10. In parentheses, you see what they were ranked uh, coming into the year. And the numbers on the left is, is how I saw things shaking out. So Nadal at number one, Djokovic at number two. That's how the year began. Dominic Team going up from four to three. Roger Federer switching places with him, coming in at number four. Stefano Tsitsipas and Daniil Medvedev also doing a little flip-flop. So Tsitsipas at five, Medvedev at six. Alexander Zverev staying put at number seven in the world. Andre Rublev making a big jump, going from 23 in the world to number eight. Grigor Dimitrov, I thought he would break into the top 10 from number 20 in the world where he started. He, uh, I had him getting up to number nine. And finally, Andy Murray, I thought a healthy year, he could jump all the way from outside the top 100 at 129 and crack the top 10 in that final slot. Here is what ended up happening. Novak Djokovic is the world number one. Rafael Nadal at number two. Dominic Team at number three. So in the top three, I did not foresee the Nadal-Djokovic flip, although I know I agonized over that and I really wasn't sure which way to go. But Djokovic did indeed take over Rafael Nadal. At number four, I had Roger Federer. Federer, of course, got injured. It's Daniil Medvedev coming in at number four. Federer only played one event. In 2020, it was the Australian Open. However, his ranking was very much protected by the pandemic because they had to adjust the ranking system and make it so that points are basically don't have to be defended 
and 2019 point stand. So Roger Federer is at number five uh, in the actual 2020 year-end rankings. Stefano Tsitsipas is at number six. I had him moving up one to number five. That did not happen. Uh, at number seven is Alexander Zverev. I got that correct. I thought Zverev would just stay put, and that is exactly what happened. Andre Rublev at number eight. My best prediction by far, my triumph, my great success. I nailed it. Rublev goes from number 23 up to number eight. At number nine, Diego Schwartzman broke into the top 10 from number 13 in the world. I did not foresee that. I had Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, Dimitrov did not get that done. Let me let me take a quick check of where Dimitrov ended up here at the end of the year. Number 19. So he did not go anywhere, did not have the year that I thought he might have. So he, he only went up one spot. Matteo Berrettini stayed in the top 10. I had him dropping out of the top 10. I had Andy Murray breaking in. Andy suffered another injury, unfortunately, and could not really build off of the momentum that he created for himself at the end of 2019. However, again, it should be noted that in 2020, it, it was just harder for rankings to change because Indian Wells and beyond, nobody lost any points. It was literally impossible to lose points after Indian Wells. So a player like Berrettini, um, he was pretty much, he was kind of safe. He didn't have to do much to hold on to his top 10 ranking, but he did drop two spots. So... All in all, I'm I'm pretty satisfied. I I think I think this was pretty good. It's uh, getting a little bit more stagnant, maybe in the top ten, uh, with the younger players who just they don't seem to be going anywhere. You know, it was really 2018 to 2019. You have you had this big shift where all the older players in their 30s had a mass exodus out of the top ten, and in came the younger guys. And now there's a, a lot of stability recently at the top of the men's game. So it becomes a little bit easier to predict. All right, with that sip of coffee, I'm ready to commence the third annual Monday Match Analysis Awards. And uh, our first award is Best Shot. It goes to Benoit Paire at the ATP Cup. I must admit that this year, the, the best shot, it didn't come to mind. In the last, two, the last two years, there have been shots that, as I was watching, I kind of stored it in my memory and thought, you know, I think that might be shot of the year. Two years ago, it was Roger Federer around the pole at the U.S. Open. Coincidentally, last year, it was the very same thing, only it was Rafa Nadal going around the pole at the U.S. Open. So before I show you this shot, so I, I did... Uh, get you the get you the video here. I want to talk about kind of what makes the shot of the year just in in general terms. It's usually a great get. It's a ball that I really didn't expect the player to even reach. I thought it might be a winner. I thought it might force an error, but no, they got to the ball. Generally, not only did they get to it, but they hit a winner off of it. I am not a fan I'm not a fan of luck. There are a lot of lucky shots that are amazing and super entertaining and wild and mind-blowing. But I don't generally award best shot to a lucky shot. Not usually. But the most important thing, and really the reason this Benoit uh, pair shot won, 
is the X factor, the uniqueness factor. I want I want it to be something I haven't seen. It's generally not going to be like a tweener winner. I see plenty of them all year. But what is this, ladies and gentlemen? Kevin Anderson, ATP Cup, great angle scoop there. And Benoit Paire gets to it and dives leg first. It's almost a sliding shot. Only, you know, not like a normal tennis slide. You know, like a almost a tackle in soccer or football or a, a slide into second base as a baseball player. Unbelievable hands, unbelievable placement. And how about the sacrifice? To, to give up your body like that, to go down hard on this hard court, uh, that could not have felt good. I thought it was a, a spectacular shot. And I also like the reaction. You know, after you, you hit a shot that good, you need a, a cool reaction. And I think Benoit Pair had that. You know, he generally plays with uh, a fair bit of swagger. So, Benoit Pair, congratulations. You hit the shot of the year in one of the first tournaments of the year, all the way back in January. The next award is the story of the year. I posted on Twitter, by the way, because I wanted to get, you know, opinions on this. And a lot of people had suggestions suggestions for the story of the year. Nobody said what I went with. When I say story of the year, it's not the drama of the year. Tennis was in the news a lot this year, a lot of the times for the wrong reasons. When Novak Djokovic hit the lineswoman, that was, you know, front page mainstream media. When the Adria tour uh, blew up and, and there were positive COVID cases stemming from that tournament, that was mainstream uh, news. Um, and the, the Zverev abuse allegations also kind of cracked the mainstream. So tennis was in the news for for some negative reasons this year, certainly. And those were some of the, the dramas of the year to, you know, varying degrees of, of um, you know, unfortunateness. But the story of the year is not that. The story of the year is positive. The story of the year is uplifting. And to me, it's the Australian Open bushfire relief efforts. This was an area where tennis really did well for itself, okay? Before Australia, the Australian Open, it was very clear that the country of Australia was in a really dark place when it came to widespread forest fires all across the country. You know, it was questionable whether or not the Australian Open was going to be able to be held on time. Not only whether it could be held on time, but whether it should be held on time, whether this was going to be a positive thing. You know, sports can be, you know, sports is obviously just a distraction. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. And in this case, I think that tennis really not only helped Australia heal, but tennis helped Australia in the relief efforts in a really, really big way. It started with Nick Kyrgios uh, originally promising $200 for every ace he hit. He ended up donating $20,000 uh, because he hit, um, I think, uh, 100 aces. But then Kyrgios started it. So many players followed. And I was doing a little bit re of research, and I was going to kind of compile a list of all of the, the players who kind of put their hat in, and I, I realized very quickly... It's too many players to count. It really, really is. Almost everyone of note got involved, did their part. Not to mention there was an Australian Open Rally for Relief exhibition match. 
that raised $4.8 million. Last year, Laszlo Jera won for his run in Rio de Janeiro after uh, losing his parents. Uh, I would say if there's an honorable mention in this category, it might be Diego Schwartzman, who, I, who uh, shared an extremely powerful essay on ATP.com about why his height, why his stature is really not one of the bigger obstacles that he has faced in his life. It was really the poverty that, that he grew up with and the sacrifice that his parents had to make. In addition, he shared uh, stories about how his grandparents escaped the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. So just an incredible piece by Diego Schwartzman. And I would say that has to be an honorable mention for story of the year uh, because the the background that, that he shared about his life was, I think, uh, very welcomed and very touching. Let us move on to our next category. It is the Comeback Player of the Year. Last year, Andy Murray won this category uh, after coming back from hip resurfacing surgery, not knowing if he would ever play competitive tennis again. And that comeback culminated in a title in Antwerp. This year, Comeback Player of the Year is Vashik Pospisil. There's a couple players I was thinking about here. I think Milos Raonic was kind of in the running. Uh, ultimately, there was no obvious choice for Comeback Player of the Year, but I am very, very confident in my choice with, uh, with Vashik Pospisil. And I just want to play some audio that will kind of begin to describe the story. I feel like the, the injury was a blessing in disguise. I kind of feel like during that period, I was able to kind of find a nice balance socially at home, even even kind of, you know, life after tennis. And I just feel much more comfortable in my, in my skin. And, and I'm more relaxed on the court, I think. Of course, you know, when you come back, you there, there's less expectations. So naturally, you'll be a little bit more relaxed. But but even even so, I mean, even now, I've been playing well for four months and I'm not putting that much pressure on myself, which which I think is is helping me in this case. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Vashik got up to 25 in the world in 2014, and then he kind of stuck around in the top 50 all the way up until 2016. That's when he really nosedived outside of the top 100, and he stayed between about 80 in the world and 120 in the world over the course of the next three years. Then in late 2018, he hurt his back, and in the offseason, he had surgery on a herniated disc. Now, it wasn't just a one-time freak injury. Pospisil said that his back was really bothering him on and off throughout those, you know, couple of seasons, which is probably a big reason why he was not the player that he once was. And sure enough, he comes back from this surgery. And by the way, he had said he had never had surgery in his life before. Herniated disc surgery is no joke. And Pospisil really had no idea how he was going to come back from this. But what ended up happening is, one, he had some time 
to think about who he was off the court. And he's a he's a smart guy and an entrepreneurial mind. And he started getting some ventures off the court going. And he started just feeling really, really comfortable about who he was and kind of said, look, found a mindset where he was not concerned really anymore about his tennis career potentially failing because he was at peace with himself and he was comfortable with his life after tennis, which I have to think is an extreme rarity on tour. I don't think a lot of players, especially ranked in the in the lower, you know, kind of in between the tour level and the challenger level, players ranked in there, I would imagine very few of them have a good idea of what they are going to do after tennis. Not to mention, they're not really set for life with the money that they're making. So Pospisil has this newfound freedom where he he isn't really worried about where his tennis career might go. He's just kind of giving it a shot. He also has lower expectations because he's coming off surgery. And he plays freer. He plays more relaxed, as you heard in that soundbite. And God, he's playing well. Man, he's playing well. Different player mentally, physically, uh, you know, just really comfortable on the court. Had the great run at the U.S. Open where everyone was kind of talking about Milos Raonic and and the damage that, that he might do at the Open. And Pospisil ended up pulling off the upset there. So Pospisil, the, the comeback player of the year. And uh, I, I feel good about that pick. Next category is a new one. First year for this one, because a lot of people misunderstood, and this was my fault. I wasn't very clear. I said, I said comeback of the year, and a lot of people were saying individual matches, and that's not really what I meant, but I thought, hey, not a bad category. Best comeback in an individual match for the first year, the inaugural award for best comeback Goes to Dominic Team, U.S. Open final. The pressure was on like crazy. Against Sasha Zverev, someone was going to win their first major title. Uh, no Nadal in the tournament. No Federer in the tournament. Nadal out before the second week. And it was Dominic Team overcoming the favorite status. Coming back from two sets to love down. And it's good enough to get him... Uh, single match comeback Monday match analysis of the of the Monday match analysis award team came up with some really clutch forehands in the fifth set in big spots he held up better physically than Alexander Zverev now an honorable mention has to go to Roger Federer defeating Tennis Sang Sangren in Australia saving seven match points to get to the semifinal another honorable honorable mention perhaps in the same light Borna Chorich saving uh I think six match points against Stefano Tsitsipas at the U.S. Open. But it is Dominic Team coming home with this MMA award. Next one is most improved player. Last year, this was a no-brainer, and it went to Daniil Medvedev. This season, it's going to another Russian, Andrei Rublev, his good buddy. And there's a couple of reasons why Rublev gets this award. One, I just felt like Rublev needed to get an award. I could not do this show... I could not do the 2020 Monday Match Analysis Awards without giving Rublev something because his year has just been that great. Leading the tour with five titles in 12 tournaments, a 41-10 match record, jumping from 23-8, to eight, as I mentioned at the top, 
in a year where players didn't need to defend points for most of the season. So incredibly difficult. And ultimately, I felt like Rublev joined the Tier 2 of tennis. I would say the Tier 1 at the moment, with the caveat that there's some uncertainty about Roger Federer, is Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Federer, and Dominic Thiem. So the tier, this is the Tier 1 of men's tennis right now. And Andre Rublev came into the into the year not really a part of that Tier 2 group. And now you have to put him in there. He has really made that leap. He's made that jump. Uh, unbelievable consistency all season long. And he's not satisfied. And he's such a determined player, mentally appreciates being out there at all times. And he was a pleasure to watch in 2020. Andre Rublev, very well deserved, your most improved player. The next Monday Match Analysis Award is the Newcomer of the Year. Last season, this award went to Felix Auger-Aliassime when he was 19 years of age. And it goes to another 19-year-old. A no-brainer. The young Italian, Yannick Sinner. Didn't have to think hard about this award. There won't be any honorable mentions. None of that is necessary. Essentially, what Sinner did was he won 80% of his challenger matches in 2019. So 2020 was really about how was he going to transition? How was he going to, to make that leap? And he did so by winning 60% of his matches this year at the tour level, which is a really impressive winning percentage for someone playing really his first full-time season at the ATP level. Made a major quarterfinal at Roland Garros. Beat Alexander Zverev in that tournament. Uh, an unbelievable feat as a teenager. He's 19 years old. He's up to number 37 in the world. But all of the all of the analytics that take into account more recent results and don't have that, you know, the, the rankings, the ATP ranking system is skewed towards the past. Uh, where in reality... You know, what have you done for me lately is probably a better way to look at the the real landscape of the tour. Yannick Sinner's top 10 in Tennis Abstract's ELO rankings. He's top 10 in UTR, uh, Universal Tennis Rankings, excuse me. So this man is on fire. And he ended the year with a title in Sofia. Over who? None other than the comeback player of the year, Vashik Pospisil. Let us go to the next award, the best tournament run. Who did this go to last year? Let me just jog my memory. Um, tournament run of the year last year went to Fabio Fanini for his run in Monte Carlo. This year, it's going to Daniil Medvedev for a dominant ATP finals. Round robin format. So it's a little bit different, but Daniil Medvedev didn't need the round robin because if it were single elimination, he still would have won this thing. He did not drop a match. Very difficult to do. Uh, he beat uh, Djokovic and Zverev and Schwartzman in the group stage, all in straight sets. Then in the semifinals, wears down Nadal in three. In the final, wears down Dominic Team in three sets. Not much has to be said about what Daniil Medvedev did in this tournament. But also, uh, there is kind of a, a, con a contextual angle to this. You know, the context of Medvedev just taking the last two tournaments, the last two major tournaments of the season by storm after what was a disappointing 2020, winning Paris, and then going to London 
and just tearing it up. And in, in a way, this was classic Medvedev because Daniil Medvedev just has a way of coming out of nowhere. Not only, and he does that on a point by point basis, doing the unexpected, uh, doing things that you didn't think he could do, uh, being unpredictable. And the end of the year for Medvedev almost encapsulated that vibe. And another thing is a tactical angle. Will players start to think twice about the supposed easy path to victory, the easy tactic uh, that you can exploit Daniil Medvedev uh, with the backhand slice? Both Nadal and Dominic Team went to the slice often and comprehensively. And Daniil Medvedev had tactical answers in both cases to try to combat the slice backhands of both Rafael Nadal and Dominic Team. So a tactical breakthrough. Uh, the, the context and just the resume itself makes Daniil Medvedev a pretty easy pick for me as the best tournament run of 2020. This next category is interesting. On Twitter, a lot of people were, were giving me a couple of different matches. I was shocked. Nobody suggested this match, but I had to go with my heart. To me, the best upset of 2020. French Open, Hugo Gaston defeating Stan Wawrinka in five sets. The fifth set was a bagel, six love. Gaston comes into this match. He is outside the top 200. He's ranked 239, small in stature, short on power. On paper, Stan Wawrinka shouldn't have much of a problem. Stan stayed in Europe during the U.S. Open, in the Western and Southern Open in the U.S., stayed in Europe to prepare on clay. He came into this tournament very, very confident. And then the conditions, heavy, chilly, slow. And people were looking at Stan Wawrinka. They were taking a very hard look at Stan Wawrinka. The 2015 Roland Garros champion, Something like that. I think 2015. Um, people were looking at that. Can Stan make another run here at the French? Well, Gaston was too determined defensively. So quick around the court. Uh, so, you know, so masterful in in his defense, putting air under the ball and throwing up moon balls to, to use the, the conditions to his advantage. And playing with a certain creativity and a swagger and just a, a variety that was such a pleasure to watch. And ultimately, Vavrinka was depleted by the fifth set of this match. It was also very 2020. Something about this match was really, really captured the essence of the 2020 French Open. The French crowd was vocal, but, but sparse. And it felt very intimate and very homey because... You know, it might have just been 200, 300 people making their voices heard on uh, on an outer stadium court. It wasn't on Chatrier. And this match, after a rain delay, finished under the lights. For the first year, the French Open had those lights. And, and that's how this match finished uh, with a with a small vocal crowd um, with the, the clay glowing orange under the night sky and Hugo Gaston, the Frenchman outside the top 200, pulling this upset over Stan Wawrinka. To me, this was, 
you know, Gaston in general, and of course he almost pulled off another stunner in the very next round against Dominic Team. Gaston in general was uh, a pleasure and uh, well-deserving, very glad that he is coming home with some YouTube hardware and a Monday Match Analysis Award. Now we get to what I feel is the big three of awards. Three awards that are very prestigious, very important. And I'm sure that if you are a fan of any player, uh, you're really leaning in. You know, you want to hear your players, your favorite player's name called. Well, we'll start with best performance. A single match that was played with strokes of brilliance throughout. What match was played at the most breathtaking level, the most dominant performance of 2020? This one wasn't hard. This one wasn't difficult. It's Rafael Nadal in the French Open final, defeating Novak Djokovic in three sets. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Nadal with one of the greatest returning performances I have ever seen. Um, Rafa goes three sets barely dipping from his A-plus level. Perhaps a little bit midway through the third set, that's it. He was on the entire time. And this first set, this was a stunning first set because Novak Djokovic wasn't playing terrible. No, he was playing fine. And the games were competitive. Djokovic was in it. He was competing hard, but he couldn't win one. Rafa Nadal had all the answers in all the big points. And he won the first set six love. That's the most competitive bagel I've ever seen. And a testament to how locked in Nadal was on his favorite patterns when he needed them. Historical context added to it. Last year, single match performance went to none other than Novak Djokovic at the 2019 Australian Open. So this also felt like an evening of the score. And in this case, Nadal evens the score with a Monday Match Analysis Award a year removed from Novak Djokovic's victory of the very same award. By the way, I know that I missed uh, on last year. I didn't say on the last award, I didn't say who won it last year. So let me just set the record straight because I think it's fun to go back. Grigor Dimitrov was the upset of the year last year when he beat Roger Federer at the U.S. Open. So another match in a major, won that last year. Now we go to a very special award, probably my favorite award every year, my favorite to, to hand out. And it's unique because two players actually win this award. I'll have to send out two trophies. It's the match of the year. And this was a tough one. This was not obvious. In 2019, it was the Wimbledon final. It was Djokovic, it was Federer, it was two match points saved, it was a 12-all tie break. 
it was pretty clear what the best match of the year in 2019 was. And I got to be honest with you, 2020 didn't have a match that good. It really didn't. But after going back and re-watching some tennis, I feel very confident in my choice. Match of the year, got to go all the way back to the ATP Cup. Novak Djokovic versus Daniil Medvedev in the semifinals in Australia at the ATP Cup. They go three sets. Novak Djokovic wins the third set 6-4. And this was really just the best tennis. Probably the, the level of tennis can only be matched by one by, by maybe one other match all year, which is Nadal team ATP finals. Breathtaking level in that match that you know we just saw uh, last week. However, that match was only two sets. So I got to go with you know this match going to a deciding set, even though the first set wasn't too competitive. The drama in this match was also just really, really special. And the only moment of the entire season that I felt matched the drama of this match was the U.S. Open final when Dominic Team and Alexander Zverev played a third set tiebreak. So in quality, only, only even only matched by um, the ATP Finals match with Nadal and Team. In drama, only matched by the U.S. Open final. But this had the total package. And if I can say a bit more about this match, it really reminded me. For the first time in a while, it reminded me of tennis from the early 2010s between Djokovic, Nadal, and Murray. Brutal physicality as a product of high-quality, sustained trading and a refusal to lose and a, a physical, a level of physical exertion, a level of physical suffering that really turned this into a fight between two gladiators that did not want to give this up. And I just thought the quality was so good. I thought neither of them, neither of them gave anything away easy. Everything was earned. And I got to talk about this 5-4 game. This 5-4 game, Djokovic serving it out, was the game I was referring to when I talk about drama, for the most part. Um, Djokovic faces two break points. He saves both brilliantly. But on the first, add Medvedev. This could be the point of the year. Now, point of the year is not a category here. Maybe I should add that to the 2021 Monday Match Analysis Awards. But if this was, if there was a point of the year, I think it might go to this one. Djokovic played this amazing drop volley on the stretch, but Medvedev got there and redropped quite nicely, I might add. Novak got up to the ball, had his signature, you know, long hardcore slide and threw up a lob over the head of Daniil Medvedev, but Medvedev got to the lob. He was kind of extended above his head, but Djokovic looked like a sitting duck, uh, way too close to the net. Medvedev does a good job kind of spiking that ball to get it low, but Novak makes a reflex half volley, places it well along the sideline, although I don't even know if he was aiming this shot at all, and it forces an error on the next ball. Medvedev could do nothing about it. This 5-4 first add out to Daniil Medvedev. Point of the year, 5-4, Djokovic serving it out. Even the match point was 
an amazing point by Djokovic. He had such great control of his ground strokes in this one. They just didn't play any loose points, and this was a masterpiece through and through. My match of the year, congratulations to both Novak Djokovic and Daniil Medvedev for their efforts at the ATP Cup in that semifinal match. Without further ado, we have reached our final award, which is the Player of the Year. A season ago, this went to Rafael Nadal, who finished the season year-end number one, um, winning two of the four majors in 2019, the U.S. Open and the French Open. It was a strange 2020. There were only three majors. So that didn't quite decide it. But if you look at the full body of work throughout the entire season, there is no doubt that the best player in 2020 is Novak Djokovic. Now, this one was, I think, a little bit more hotly contested. And this is layered because it almost feels like Djokovic could have had a better year. He could have done more, right? But if you look at it, his results are still the best. And what I mean by that is when Djokovic was 26-0, no, check that. Let's go back earlier. When he was 22-0, going into Indian Wells, if you would have said then that Djokovic would have finished 2020 with only one major, he would have been disappointed. If you're a Novak Djokovic fan, you would have been disappointed. Wimbledon was canceled. The Olympics were canceled. And Djokovic lost a chance at the U.S. Open and lost the French Open final. So it really seems like there could have been more. He could have had this unbelievable, maybe a, a season like he had in 2015 or 2011. It was looking like that was a possibility. That didn't happen. But he's still the player of the year. There is no way, there is no way that you can look at anyone's body of work and say it was better. And I looked and I kept a very open mind about this. The three slams were split. Team possibly with a slight edge in grand slam play. But Djokovic gets the head-to-head -head over Dominic Team with his win in the Australian Open final. So Team, yeah, he went a little bit further in the French than Djokovic did at the U.S. Open. That would kind of be the difference. Uh, but the head-to-head -head really erases any advantage that Dominic might have in the Grand Slams. Outside the Grand Slams. Novak won the two biggest Masters of the year. The two Masters, the only two Masters that really kind of led to Grand Slams. I think the, the rest, the Sunshine Double is important. That was canceled. Uh, so Rome and the Western and Southern Open, both trophies lifted by Novak Djokovic and undoubtedly the most, the two most important Masters tournaments of the year. Djokovic won both, not to mention 26-0 to start the season. Before things got crazy, before things got weird, before there was COVID-19 and there was no crowds and there were all kinds of different factors, um, Djokovic was 26-0. And that is incredible and that counts for something. Perhaps if Dominic Team won the ATP Finals, there would have been an argument to be made for Dominic taking two of the season's four biggest titles. But his loss to Daniil Medvedev makes Novak Djokovic the clear choice for the Monday Match Analysis 
Player of the Year. Congratulations to Novak. And that'll do it for the 2020 Monday Match Analysis Awards. Now, um, I guess some parting thoughts on the season. It was really as as good as as anyone really could have hoped. I think tennis should look in the mirror and be pretty proud of how they handled this. Pretty proud of how, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, of how undeterred they were seemingly by COVID-19 in the sense where you didn't have a bunch of positive tests. And it seems like tennis did not really, uh, tennis did not become a super spreader. Let's just put it that way in, in any sense of the imagination. Um, and people were able to stay afloat financially and precautions were taken and it was a diluted year and there was not as much to choose from. And believe me, when I was choosing the awards this year, I really felt that it really was apparent that I had to look a little bit harder, reach a little bit further to come up with these awards because there was just less tennis this year. But all in all, I'm so thankful for what the sport gave us this year. And I hope that the 2020 Monday Match Analysis Awards did that justice and honored some of the great things and great achievements we saw in the year 2020, a year that will uh, live in inf infamy in history books forever. But that is it. You know, this is kind of, you know, marking this year uh, in tennis. And it was quite the year in a multitude of ways. Remember, Monday Match Analysis is available on all podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And um, stay tuned for more off-season content. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.